Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I just want to begin uh, by actually just re reviewing a point that, that we had actually mentioned last week, but it got a little bit buried, and it's actually relating to a time that's coming up. And so I think uh, I just want to start with that, because I think that that's where we are at, so to speak, right now. So um, we're at an exciting time in the calendar. We're, we're um, coming up to the, the month of Elul, and Elul is... Uh, is just, you know, they, they, they said that uh, in Eastern Europe, when they would announce the, the blessing for the month of Elul, when they would say just the words Elul is coming, basically, in the, in, in the, the, the prayer, the Birchas uh, HaChodesh, um, the blessing for the month that's about to be upon us, and they announce the name of the month, it says that even the, the, the fish in the water would shudder, would, would tremble with awe, knowing that Rosh Hashanah is about to come. Because Elul is the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah, and it's our month of actually preparation. And um, But sort of the headline here is is what for me was a, a new thought, but it's, it's, it's very relevant, is that really Elul, um, Rabbi Wolfson brings it, and, and we've got all sorts of supports for it, um, that, that, that the Shefa, the downpouring, the energy of Elul, actually begins in the middle of Av, which of course is the name of the month right before Elul. So as of Tuba Av, the 15th of Av, which is when sort of the mazel of Av shifts from the negative to the positive, that already we have Elul going on. And there are a couple of beautiful illustrations of this, which is, um, as we mentioned, the, the B'nai Asaschar, one of the great Hasidic masters, the Din of Rebbe, says that it says in the, uh, quotes the Talmud, where it says, um, that better to walk, this is giving advice to men, better to walk behind a lion than a woman. Meaning to say that if a man walks behind a woman, perhaps he'll begin to stare and his imagination will go wild and men being men, who knows what's next, right? So the advice is better to walk behind a lion. So the, the uh, B'nai Asaschar gives a, a, an incredibly... Uh, spiritual, much, much more, much deeper, really, uh, understanding of what the words of the Talmud are. And he says that the, the, the zodiac sign of Av, the month of Av, is actually the lion, right? Um, and the zodiac sign of Elul is, is, is what we say Virgo the Virgin, right? The Basula, we would say, or the woman. So here you have the lion is Av, and the woman is Elul. And, and so now, remember what the words of the Talmud was, better to walk behind a lion than a woman. He, he understands that better, begin, better to begin your preparation for Rosh Hashanah in the month of the lion than to wait till El. In other words, begin it already in Av. Now, now what did we just say? That the, that, the, that the spiritual quality, the unique spiritual quality of El actually starts in the middle of Av. And, and why, how do we see this? The, the, uh, what makes Elul, like, okay, so you could say, well, it's the month before Rosh Hashanah, we would just, normally speaking, just use that time to prepare anyway. But there's actually an element to Elul that really supercharges that time, where it's beyond just simple preparation, but makes that time into what we call an Esratzon, which means a time of divine favor. So what, what gives it that special quality? And the answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu, 
went up to receive the second tablets on the first day of the month of Elul. In other words, that was a day where God, after, after Moshe had smashed the tablets by the sin of the golden calf, now Hashem is saying, okay, I'm ready to, to start again in the best way. We're starting again. You're gonna, I'm going to give you the tablets all over again. And so because of that, that makes it a time of favor. And so that transforms all of Elul into this month of favor. Okay, so now, if that's what's special and unique about Elul, how do you see that that time is already starting in the middle of Av? Right? Since that's the special quality to Elul. So we know, whatever's going on in the Torah portion of the week, that's what's going on in the world. Right? And Rabbi Wolfson says so beautifully that that God takes the letters of the, the weekly portion, the, 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 the Parsha, and he actually weaves them together into the fabric of reality, into the fabric of the week. Okay, so every Tuba Av, every 15th of Av, that Shabbos we're reading the same Torah portion, which is Parsha's V'yes Hanan, where we receive the second tablets. That's what it talks about. <laughs> it tells you the, sec- the Ten Commandments for the second time in the Torah. It's in two places in the Torah. That's the second time it appears. So you see that that time, that special Esrat zone, that time of favor of receiving the tablets all over again, that second chance, that forgiveness of God is already beginning in, in the middle of Av. So you see the energy of Av is already reflecting that of Elul. And then interestingly, the, the following week's Parsha, the one that we just read, Parsha's Akiv, also talks about the second tablets. Very interesting. So here you see all the Elul energy. So now let's revisit the words of the Bnei Yisachar, and you'll see it on a deeper level right now. So when he says, better to begin your tshuva, your, your preparation, your, 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 your refinement, your spiritual sort of getting it together, better to begin it in Av than to wait for Elul. Why do you begin it in Av? Because Av is Elul. Because the energy of Elul is already in Av. It's not that you're beginning it in Av. Av is Elul you know, as of the 15th of Av, right? So, so it, it, that, that's where we are. Okay. So, so uh, with that in mind, I, I, I also want to mention again another point, just to review this point, because it was very meaningful to me, and, and we're going to see many applications of it in, in as the weeks progress, because this is regarding... Um, this is regarding uh, the month of Tishrei, which is what we're all sort of like uh, preparing for. So everybody knows that the, the month of Tishrei, the, um, the zodiac sign, the mazel, is how we say it in, in, in Torah thought, the mazel of, of Tishrei um, is the, the scales, scales of judgment, right? Um, that correlates with Libra, I guess. Um, so, so you would see it as a time of judgment. And in fact... That, that makes sense because the first day of the month of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is known, known as Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. Like you've heard of Judgment Day? That's, that's, there it is. It's the first day of the month of Tishrei. That's where the, the year is sort of determined for a person. And for all people, Jewish, non-Jewish, everything in creation, Rosh Hashanah is the day. So you really have to get it right for Rosh Hashanah. You have to pray very hard and really really, um, really uh, make it special. Okay, so then, and then 10 days later, what do we have? Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is also in Tishrei. That's also, you know, really there's a lot of soul searching, and, but it's a very happy day because it's a day of forgiveness. 
Remember, the Talmud says that the two happiest days of the year are Tuba'av, right? The 15th of Av, which we've just been talking about, and Yom Kippur, right? Because you've got this, you know, the energy is shifting to a very positive place on Tuba'av. Decrees, evil decrees are being ripped up on Tuba'av. Remember the 40-year decree that the Jews should wander in the desert before going into Israel. That 40 days, that 40 years, they realized it was over on Tuba'av. So that was a huge decree that was torn up. And other decrees were also torn up on that day. It used to be that the tribes couldn't intermarry. Right? Like if you were from the tribe of Benjamin, you couldn't marry someone from the tribe of Reuben. And that was canceled on on Tuba'av. Okay? There there are many wonderful things that happen on Tuba'av. And Yom Kippur is the other happiest day. We tend to think that Yom Kippur is... uh, you know, this very sad day. It's, it's not. It's not. It's a very happy day because God is forgiving us, you know. So, um, so it, it's so funny. I'm just thinking of these words. I forgot who said them, but they really resonated with, with me because I, I thought the same thing growing up. This, this person who said it very astutely said that when he was growing up, and I guess he was growing up in a, in, in a Judaism that he didn't understand, um, he said that he thought that here was the deal, here was the contract that we made with God. If you showed up to shul and you sat through the service, even though you were absolutely bored out of your mind, almost on a near torturous level of being bored, right? Then the deal is then God forgives you, <laughs> right? Sort of like you do, that's your, your penance to sit in a place where you're outrageously bored and then then God owes you one, so he forgives you. And then that actually is the dynamics of the day. Okay, it's so far beyond that, it's like, it's not even worth commenting on. You know, but this is many people's perception, you know, for, for better or for worse. So, so, but we find out that Yom Kippur is actually a happy day. It's not a, it's not a sad day. And, um, but, but a person really has to understand a lot more to really access that point, because otherwise it will, it will remain mysterious. Um, anyway, let's, let's keep on going. So what's the point? The point is that uh, after Yom Kippur we have Sukkot, right? And Sukkot is is the full moon of Tishrei. And this is really the the point that I just wanted to review because I I do think it's significant and it will influence how you approach all these holidays that I just mentioned if you know this point, if you keep it in mind. So... So the rabbis teach that if you really want to understand, we we said every month has a different personality. If you really want to understand the personality of the month of Tishrei, so if you were to ask me what's the personality of the month of Tishrei, I would say, well, look, the, the, the mazel is the scales, it's judgment. The first day, which is sort of the DNA, so to speak, is Rosh Hashanah. It must be that's a very heavy time that it's a month that's characterized by judgment. That's what, that's what I would have told you, right? And yet, there's another teaching which completely upends that and turns it completely upside down, which is that, that the rabbis explain that the fullness of the personality of the month is expressed actually on the full moon of the month. So if you really want to understand the month, look to the full moon of that month. So what's the full moon of the month of, of Tishrei? It's actually the holiday of Sukkot. 
Sukkot is one of the happiest holidays of the entire year. Not only that, but it's characterized by sitting in the sukkah, where you're surrounded by the walls of the sukkah. And I heard it in the name of the Ari HaKodesh, that, the, that what that means is that God is actually hugging you, so to speak. That's what it means to sit in a sukkah. You're actually receiving this divine hug from God. So from that, now we understand what the real personality of Tishrei is. Now let's put this in the context of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You see, what this means is, because this is a breakthrough idea, if you, if you contemplate it, what this means is, is that, is that Sukkot, I would have thought that Sukkot is a subset of Rosh Hashanah. In other words, Rosh Hashanah is the headline, and Sukkot is a subset of Rosh Hashanah. But now what I'm understanding is, is that Rosh Hashanah is a subset of Sukkot. Which means that the one who's judging us is the one who loves us the most. That's what it boils down to. The one who is judging us is the one who loves us the most. And that all the various decrees that come down are expressions of love. Now, obviously, there's the type of decrees that we want and the ones that we absolutely don't want, right? But, but this, is, this is now to throw it back, because we're talking about Tishrei, which is what this whole kind of cycle of the year is leading up to, Right? But that throws it back to us right now. Right now we're at the end of Av. Chodesh Elul is coming up this Shabbos. Right? So now, if we want that good judgment, those good decrees, right, which are coming from this place of love, we have to be a conduit. We have to make ourselves worthy and a conduit to express all the wonderful things. Remember, there are three things Three main parts to the Rosh Hashanah service, which, which, which is um, kind of spelling out the divine mechanics of how the judgment comes down. There's the blowing of the shofar, shofros. There's machus, which is declaring God as king. And then there's the most mysterious aspect, zichronos, which, which is translated, I think, not greatly, not inaccurately, but in terms of what, for us to really understand what's going on, not very helpfully as remembrance, that God remembers us. Well, God never forgets us, so what does it mean that God remembers us? So it's a bit of a dead end in terms of a translation. So I had a lot of trouble over the years trying to understand and isolate what is that essential dynamic of zichronos, since that's one of the major, the three pillars of what's going on in terms of the day. And I'm explaining it now because it deals with our work that we have to do right now. Zechron Zachar, it's the same word, Zachar and Zichron. Zachar means male. Okay, it says male energy. And if you think of impregnation, God is shining this light into all of us. And he's, so to speak, impregnating us with this light, if you will. And the question is, what is going to come out of us? In other words, let me, let me explain. If you, have, um, if you have two parents, all right? Now, in this instance, we're both parents, since we're, we're, we'd be the mother and the father, so to speak, because we're the one who's, um, who's the reference point here, right? 
So if you have, let's say, parents who are both very beautiful and both very smart, right? Just genetically speaking, you're going to get a child who's going to have brains and good looks. This is how genetics works, right? If you have um, someone who's a parent who's, let's say, both parents are very tall, the child is going to be tall. This is how genetics works, okay? So, so now understand this in terms of our own personal lives and our own personal year and the dynamics, which is that God is shining his light into us, and however we are, that's going to be a reflection of what our year is going to be. In other words, the year will, so to speak, be the child that's born to us. And if we are very worthy, right, then the year that is born from us will come out in a good way. So, so what happens is, is that this time leading up to Rosh Hashanah, this is, for, this is a time for us to buy a new pair of jeans, basically. We can go shopping and get our jeans, you know. Some people, before they want to have a child, like if they're into parting, like they'll stop parting during the period where they're trying to have a kid, right? So it's sort of like, we're all going to have a kid. We're all going to have a kid. We're all going to be parents. What's our, what's our kid going to be? That's going to be this new year that's coming, right? So just like, you know, you want to start, if you, if you want to have a kid, you want to start eating the right foods, doing the right things, like treating yourself right. So that's, that's this time of year. You kind of want to get it together and make the right choices so that when the light comes into you, right, you're going to give birth to a good year. So that's, that's just a way of understanding it, okay? Um, okay, so with that, let's transition into this week's Parsha that we just learned because this will give us some more practical advice in terms of how to get ourselves on the right track. So there's a very interesting Pasuk in Parsha's Ekev it's, uh, I, I always like this Parsha, um, or this Pasuk, this Parsha also, but this, this Pasuk. It's, um, it's, so it's uh, chapter 7 of uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy, uh, verse 22. It says, it's talking about conquering the land of Israel. It says, Hashem your God will thrust these nations from before you little by little. In other words, it's talking about conquering the land, okay? You're going to conquer it little by little. You will not be able to annihilate them quickly. Now listen to this, very interesting. Lest the beasts of the field increase against you. Okay, so let's just kind of put that into English for a moment and try to understand what that just said. That was English, I know, but <laughs> let's just make it a little more understandable. So the idea is like this. If you kind of conquer the land and you wipe out the people, you don't have enough people to fill the entire land. So what's going to happen is, you're going to come, and the, the, the land is going to be mostly empty, because you only fill a small part of it. All the people that used to fill the rest of the land are gone now. Okay, so what's going to, what's going to happen with all the empty land? The beasts, the wild beasts, are going to populate, and now all of a sudden there are going to be a lot of wild beasts, and all those wild beasts are going to attack you. That's, that's what it says. So in order to avoid that, Hashem says, what you're going to do is you're going to conquer the land little by little. And this way it's going to avoid the problem of all the wild beasts multiplying and attacking you. 
Everyone follow? Okay. So let's talk about that. That's obviously the, the Torah operates on many, many levels, including the most direct level. So that's talking about the warfare. That, that works on that level. But now let's take it to another level. This is a more spiritual level in terms of describing you and me and our own process of trying to pick ourselves up and be better. Okay? <clears throat> so, so we have to understand, what does it mean, conquering the land? Conquering the land. So Israel, on one level, represents the land of Israel, the country itself. On, on another level, Israel represents redemption. Right? Israel, because what are we doing? We're traveling from Egypt to Israel. In other words, it's not just a, geogra- a geographical point, but it's also a, a mission. It's a, it's a larger goal. That means basically Mashiach. Okay, getting to Israel. Israel stands for Mashiach. Okay. So, so God is talking about our journey to getting to to Israel, to conquering Israel, to completing creation. All right? It's on a deeper level. Now, each person, each person also has a land quality to them. Okay? You see, a person, remember, the first person was a composite of man and woman. Okay? Because Chava was contained within Adam. So Adam, which means a human being, Adam was formed from the ground. The way you say ground in Hebrew is Adama. It has the word Adam in it, with a letter He. He often stands for Hashem. So, so what is a person? A person is a composite of actually earth, which is their physicality. That's the land, right? That's Adama, Adam. But also their godly soul, which is a part of heaven. So what's so interesting is that every single person is a combination of heaven and earth. And as such, every single person is a microcosm of the entire universe, which is why it says, one reason why it says in the Talmud, if you save one life, it's like you save the whole world. Because each person is the whole world. Right? Each person is heaven and earth combined. Now, the aspect of your physicality is often called, there are different parts to the soul, your physicality is referred to as the nefesh behema, which means your animalistic nature. Right? These are the wild animals that the Pasuk is referring to. We'll connect all the dots in a second, but just in case you're following anyway. <laughs> so, so, so you have to understand that there's a battle oftentimes. You see, there's a whole spectrum. We'll go through the spectrum in a moment. But you, the person has their heavenly quality or their more spiritual side, and then you also have your more, your more earthly side, or you, which it correlates with a more animalistic side. Okay, and there are different types of relationships that people have with their own bodies between the body and the soul. Okay, there's a whole spectrum. On one side is the most ideal side, the the, the Torah idea ideal is for the body and for the soul to be best friends. That's, that's, that's the ideal. This is a very high level, but this is the ideal. Okay? <clears throat> so, 
The way we understand this is that the body needs the soul and the soul needs the body. Okay, so, so for instance, let's say a person wants to do a, a mitzvah, right? Let's say a person wants to give charity. Well, if, if my hand is just a lifeless lump, my hand is nothing, but my soul animates my hand. You see, my, my hand can't give charity. My hand can't do the mitzvah of tzedakah because my hand is nothing. My hand is just a lump of matter. But my soul keeps my hand alive and then I can do the mitzvah. So my body needs my soul in order for my body to do the work it was created to do. Right? Now let's say my soul wants to give charity but my soul doesn't have a hand. So my soul needs my body. So the body needs the soul and the soul needs the body. So they're best friends. This is when they're at peace with each other. This is, this is the ideal. And you know, on the subject of charity, I was remembering a Torah that I love from the Baal Shem Tov, um, which is that in terms of giving charity, when you give charity, you actually spell out the name of God. So how does it work? So the coin is like the letter Yud. Okay, it's small. It's like the letter Yud. And you hold it in your hand. Your hand has five fingers. And the fifth letter of the alphabet is the letter He. So the coin is the Yud. Your hand is the He. And then when you give the tzedakah, when you give the charity, your arm becomes straight. It makes the letter Vav. And you put it in the other person's hand, which is the letter He. So again, you spell out the name of God. The, the coin, right, that's the Yud. In your hand is the He. The arm is the Vav. And you put it in the other person's hand. That's the letter He. You spell out the name of God when you give. Amazing, amazing thing. You know, God in action. You're manifesting godliness. You're literally revealing godliness when you are, are giving to each other. Okay. So this is one side of the spectrum. The body and the soul are best friends. The other side of the spectrum is the body and the soul are bitter enemies. <laughs> Where the body is controlling the soul. The body wants to eat endlessly. Right? It never wants to stop eating. It never wants to stop doing whatever it wants to do. And it tells the soul what it's doing. No, you're not telling me. I'm telling you. I have the keys and I have the driver's wheel and I'm making the decisions, says the body. This is the other side of the spectrum. And the soul says, but, 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 but. And the body says, shut up. <laughs> right? So that's the, that's the other side of the spectrum. So that's, um, so now let's get back into the Pasuk. Let's read it again. And now we've got a lot of the groundwork laid for us to go to the next level in terms of understanding this verse in a deeper in a deeper way Hashem your God will thrust these nations from before you little by little you will not be able to annihilate them quickly lest the beasts of the field increase against you okay so conquering the land what do we say that a person is made out of Adama earth land right so conquering the land would be self-mastery over your physicality over your body right 
making sure that your soul is the one who's in charge and not your body. Conquering the land is, it means self-mastery over your desires. Okay? And what does it say? It says, I'm not going to allow you to do it too quickly. Because if you do it too quickly, the beasts of the field, and we said that the beasts are what? That's your nefesh behema, that's your yetzahara. The beasts of the field will counterattack. So how does that work? You see, when a person progresses in Torah, remember the word for halacha, which means the way, the path, right? Also translated as Jewish law, but it's more Zen than that. It's deeper than that. It's like just the flow of the proper path. Halacha has the word holech in it. And I learned from Rabbi Seidenfeld, holech means to walk. That if you want to be a, a Torah Jew, if you want to be able to master this system, you have to walk in it, not run in it. In other words, you have to take it incrementally. You have to go step by step. You can't just all at once turn your life upside down. Because if you do it all at once and you just turn your life upside down, what happens? Well, according to this verse, you've conquered the land too quickly. And what you've done is you've actually empowered your Yetzirah. You've actually empowered the beasts of the field who are preparing for a big counterattack. And then the problem is, is that if you jump so many levels, so many rungs up the ladder, when they knock you down, they don't knock you down one rung, they knock you all the way down. Because you don't have a firm foundation to support your level. You jumped too high too fast. You understand? So that's why it says that I'm going to have you conquer the land little by little. This is walking. Halacha holech, to walk. You're going to conquer it little by little. And the idea is like this, that when you take on something, you're very thoughtful, you're doing it within a system, you're doing it with, under the advice of people who understand you and who have experience with these things, and you take a step, but when you take a step, you hold on to that step. You make that gain a very real gain. Right? Okay. So now, with this in mind, let's go um, into the sitter, into the prayer book, and there's something that we say every day. We say it in, in, in Marv. Um, and um, it's a very, very, uh, very interesting passage. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the prayer that begins with um, the words Hashkivenu. And it says, Shield us, remove from us foe, plague, sword, famine, and woe. And now here's the part I want to concentrate on. And remove spiritual impediments from before us, that means in front of us, and behind us. In the shadow of your wings shelter us. Okay, and it goes on. So, so if you actually, it's funny because, um, you know, the English translation doesn't use the Hebrew here. What does it says? It says, Vahaser Satan Milfanina. It's a, it's a, they sort of whitewashed it in the, uh, in the English translation. It says, get rid of the Satan, Satan. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, 
that is in front of us and, 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 and behind us. In other words, the, the Satan in Torah is the heavenly accuser. That's the Yetzahara, right? Trying to trip us up. That it's in front of us and, it, and it's behind us. So what is, the, what is the, on a simple level, what does that mean? If it's behind us, it's, it's basically trying to grab onto our back. We're trying to make progress, right? I just want to keep some Shabbos, right? I just want to put on some tefillin. I just want to light some candles, whatever it is. And we feel this hand on our back just pulling us backwards, just saying, no, don't make any progress. You want to go to a Torah class? You want to try to lift yourself up? Forget about it. We feel a, a, a hand on our back pulling us backwards. That's the Satan behind us, right? The Satan in front of us manifests itself in different ways. Sometimes it can even be pulling us forward to a level that we can't sustain, right? Like we just learned, if you conquer the land too quickly. And why does it pull us forward? You think, well, would the Satan be pulling me to a place of being so high? Yes. Why? Because if it knows that you can't maintain that level, it knows you're going to fall, it knows you're going to become depressed, and then it wants you to throw the entire system away. So it's willing to exchange you doing a few extra mitzvahs in a short period of time for the long-term gain of giving up the entire thing. See, it's very smart. It's very smart because it understands human psychology. Remember, your Yetzirah is an angel. It actually, you're, when you're battling your Yetzirah, you're not just battling your own worst qualities. We also have bad qualities that we have to battle against. But there's a whole other dimension to it. There's actually something called the Yetzirah, which is an angel, which is supernatural, which knows us better than we know us. And it says it renews itself against us every day, and that it actually desires our death. This is very intense doesn't just want us to do wrong. It actually is plotting our death. So, so we have to take it seriously. You know, we talk about, um, like in, I know in American, the American legal system, in terms of certain decisions, they talk about a slippery slope. That's the phrase that they use. A slippery slope means that this will lead to that, and that will lead to that, and that will lead to that. And when we think about our actions, we have to understand that the slippery slope is a very real dynamic of the human condition. That sometimes, even if we allow ourselves a very small thing, really in the deep, deep recesses of our mind, we understand that that's the first step in terms of chucking the entire thing. Right? So that's why we have to be very real with ourselves. We have to know, what, what do I want? Where am I holding? Who am I? What am I? What does this mean? You know? Now again, this is what I'm what I'm counseling here is a formula for introspection, not neurosis. Right? Because they're they're like more than kissing cousins. <laughs> they're like they stand right next to each other. And if you look away or blink your eyes, introspection can become neurosis. A person has to be very focused on what's what's real and, and what the thing is and not fall into superstition. And it's it's very it's a very it takes a lot of focus. 
takes a lot of focus. And a person should ask a lot of questions. They should ask people, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about not doing that. What do you think? You know? I remember there was a, a time in my life, I'll just give you one example, just for some reason it pops into my head. In the period before I started keeping Shabbos, um, you know, I, I really was just kind of, I was thinking about all sorts of stuff. I was just thinking about my own mortality, not, not God forbid, in a suicidal way, but just the fact that I'm just this very temporary construct and, and I want to make the most of my life and, and I don't want to live my life in vain. And, 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 I, and it was very important to me to be keeping Shabbos at, at some point in my life. But if you want to keep Shabbos at some point in your life, then then at some point you have to keep Shabbos. At some point, the, the time is now, you know, because at, just think about it in the future. Let's say you want to do in the future, but even if you think about it in the future, at some point, the time is now. There has to be a now, otherwise it never happens, actually. So I was thinking about that in terms of myself. And uh, anyway, I was becoming more, less material, or, or trying to focus less on materiality. So I, I stopped shaving at this time in my life. And uh, as it happens, I grew a beard. But my beard was not um, a, an expression of uh, a classic Jewish lifestyle choice. Like, I'm a Jew with a beard, right? Because this beard means something to me. To me, it just was a rejection of, of just materiality. It was just sort of like being unkempt, basically. That's what it was for me, because I just didn't want to deal with anything physical. I wanted to concentrate on spiritual things, so I just stopped shaving. Now, that coincided with becoming uh, someone who keeps Shabbos. So, what, what, so two things happened at once, but it wasn't on purpose. I started keeping Shabbos, so now I was more, classically speaking, a Jew, and I had this beard. <laughs> So, you know, not that people were sitting around discussing my beard, but if anyone was, they would have said, oh yeah, sure, he keeps Shabbos, he has a beard. Of course, the beard and the keeping of the Shabbos are uh, they're, uh, directly related. But they weren't directly related at all. There was a big overlap, but it was not an expression of being someone who keeps Shabbos at all. Right? So, so I had this beard. And... Um, and I, I remember that, you know, at a certain point, it's sort of like I decided that I didn't want to have the beard. But now it was sort of like, it was, that was like a, a couple of years later. And, and it was strange because it was sort of like, it would seem like I was lowering my level, right? Because here, like sometimes, you don't have to think of it this way, but I, I mean, there's, I guess, something to it that that to have a beard is a, is a higher expression of whatever, in some circles, in many circles anyway. And here I am taking off my beard. That seems to be a, a rejection of Jewish spirituality and, or, or seriousness on some level, right? But for me, just again, I'm just speaking personally. Everyone would have their own you know, process in terms of this. I'm just talking about my journey right now. For me, it was actually a 
grounding and becoming more real because I never grew it for that reason to begin with. So if you thought of it as, if I was portraying it as an expression of being a more sort of religious person, that was a lie because that's not why I had it. So, so, so I took it off and that was actually me being more focused and more real you know, and actually it, I did it at a time when my Jewish observance was actually very much on the way up. And it was an expression of my increase in observance, not my decrease in observance. And I'll tell you just a very painful chapter for me. I ran into someone who I had been learning with, who saw me without the beard, and he was someone who was very much from the beard camp, so to speak. And he said these words to me, which hurt me so deeply. He said, so you've taken off your beard. What else aren't you doing? And this was at a time when I actually was increasing in every category. You know, and I'll tell you something, I never learned with him again. It was years and years ago. I never learned with him again. Because I just, I thought anyone who misunderstands me that fundamentally I, I can't have this connection with, you know? I forgive him, of course, but, you know, it just, it was, a, it was very painful. It was a very painful thing that he said to me, you know? So, so sometimes, again, the Satan can be someone pulling you forward to a place that you shouldn't be necessarily, just with the design of dropping you down because you can't maintain it so that you'll become depressed and throw away the whole thing. So again, you have to talk, you have to have a plan. If you're going to take on something new, you discuss it with someone who knows you, who has experience with these things, and then they'll tell you. And if you want to step away from something, right, then you should discuss that with someone too. Because you might rationalize it in yourself and you'll say, oh, I'm like that guy who I heard the talk from. He's taking off his beard. But meanwhile... No, 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 no. I asked you five questions. Really, you're just in the process of chucking away the entire thing. <laughs> you're not getting more real. You're just lying to yourself. You're just depressed and you're chucking the whole thing. See, so you have to, when it, the, the capacity for a person to rationalize anything is almost infinite, which is why you need an, an outside person to discuss it with. Otherwise, a person can just keep themselves going around in circles and circles and circles, and they think they're making endless progress. And they're momish, they're just going around in circles. They have to talk to someone. They have to talk to someone. That's just the bottom line. Okay, now I want to tell you something very mystical. Because the, the, um, the Satan milfenenu, uh, meaning the opposing spiritual force in front of you, that can also be interpreted in another way. That means that there are dangers in my future. Right? That's the satan in front of you. Meaning, as you progress through time. This is the time in front of you. And you're praying that God should get rid of the opposition that lay ahead of you in your future. Do you understand? Okay. Now, with this in mind, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver in the Or Torah brings something very fascinating, very, very fascinating. Okay. Now, 
I don't know if you've ever seen this before. If you see it, it's sort of like, it's super cool, and it's sort of like you look at it and you go, what? Okay? That's if you ever see a, 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 a kosher mezuzah parchment. If you ever see it in front of you, right? Turn it upside down. Turn it to the other side, and you'll see a series of letters that actually don't form a word in Hebrew. And I'll tell you what they are. It's chaf vav zayin chaf, beis mem vav chaf samech vav, chaf vav zayin vav. It spells nothing. <laughs> so it's sort of like it's, it's encoded. It's completely encoded. And what does it stand for? Right? It's, it's, it's openly a code. So what is it a code for? And this is on the back side of every mezuzah, this series of letters, okay? Now, what is the essential thing on a mezuzah? Remember, the mezuzah is the three paragraphs of the Shema. So if you have to sum up what a mezuzah is in one sentence, it would be Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, right? That, that would be what the essence of the mezuzah is. It's testifying to the oneness of God. God is one. The whole world belongs to God. Okay? Now, what is this encoded sequence of letters? This is, if you, so what are the divine names, the names of Hashem within Shema? Okay, Shema Yisrael. Okay? Now, remember, the Ramban says that every word in the Torah is a different name of God. Okay? But that opinion aside for a moment, <laughs> which is, you know, mind-blowing. That, that aside for a moment, let's just go to the ones that we're most familiar with, the names of God. What, what are the names of God within Shema? Shema Yisrael, not that. Hashem, that's Yud Kei Vav Kei. Elokeinu, that's also a name of God, our God. Hashem again. Echad, okay? Very spiritual word, but not a name of God, openly speaking. So we've got three divine names in the verse of the Shema. Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem. Right? Okay. So this sequence of letters that I just read you, Chav, Vav, Zayin, Vav, Beis, Mem, Vav, Chav, Samek, Vav, Chav, Vav, Zayin, Vav. That is, if you go in the alphabet, what's the next letter? Like, let's say we're going to name, we're going to spell out the yud ke vav ke, the name of Hashem. What's the letter after Yud? It's Chaf. What's the letter after He? Yud and He, right, of Hashem's name. The letter after Hev? Vav. What's the letter after Vav? Zion. What's the letter after He? Vav. So what this is, it's taking the three essential names of Hashem in the Shema, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, and it's giving you the sequence of letters which follows after these three names of God. So it's the expression of God, one letter later, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, and it comes out to that sequence of letters, and that's what's written on the other side of a mezuzah. Now, this is so intense. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? 
right? So I'm just telling you my understanding of, of what this is. You see, when you walk through a doorway, right? You've survived your past because <laughs> you made it into your house, right? Or you survived your past in the house, you're making it out of the house, whatever it is. So, so it seems like the crucial moment when you're leaving, when you're walking past a mezuzah, is you're about to begin whatever the next stage of your life is, right? Right? Because you're journeying into your future. You're on your way to the next thing, right? So isn't, isn't it interesting that we talk about, because Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber relates it to this passage here, the Satan Milfenenu, the opposition that's waiting in front of you, that the name of Hashem is spelled, so to speak, in the future tense. It's spelled one letter later in the Olive Base, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem. As you walk past the mezuzah, it's like God is guarding all of your future, all of your future endeavors. It's it's a it's a wild, it's a wild expression of Judaism. You know, Judaism is so radical. It's so way out. Like like people really don't appreciate just how like mind blowing Judaism is. You know. So. So God is giving us a special blessing. There's a special blessing that that all of your journeys should be blessed, as well. You know. And everyone should know it's a very big mitzvah to have a mezuzah. If you, if you want to look for a way to um, prepare for the coming year, if you don't have any mezuzahs on your doors, you should definitely try to get one on your front doorpost. And really the halacha is that you have them for all the doorposts in your house, except for bathrooms and um, small closets. If you have a very big house, one of these closets, which is really the size of a room, then you can put a mezuzah on that. But for the most part, closets don't take a mezuzah because they're smaller. Um, and this is a very big, this is a very, very great mitzvah, you know? I mean, there's someone who in my own life, um, who I loved a lot, and they moved into a new place. So I bought them mezuzahs for all their doorposts. And, you know, over the years they became, you know, Shomer Shabbos and kosher and everything like that. And I once, and he once told me, he said, you know, I had all these mezuzahs up in my house, and so how can I not do the right thing? <laughs> so I just, I mean, that wasn't my intention. I just wanted him to have, you know, mezuzahs, you know what I mean? And, but, but it led to him, and now he has a whole large family, kids and everything like that, and they're all very serious, you know, you know, people, you know, so it's, you, you, don't, you don't know the power of a mitzvah. You don't know the power of a mitzvah because it connects, it connects to the divine. So let's just end with this thought, just in terms of what a mitzvah can do, okay? Now we know that the word mitzvah is mem tzadi and then vav he. Mem tzadi, vav he. So, so I don't know who... Uh, Who's the first one to say this? But this is one of the holiest Torahs there is, you know? So, um, in the system called Atbash, which is a holy way of exchanging letters, 
and it's and then you can reconfigure a word once you exchange the letters. So just very quickly, how does Atbash work? And if you want to know where this system comes from, it comes from the Talmud. It's in uh, Gomorrah Shabbos on page 104. Um, so what is Atbash? Atbash is there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So you can make two lines of 11 letters, right? Because if there are 20 letters, you can do 11 on top and then a second line of 11 below. And if you actually arrange them in kind of like a, a horseshoe, so that the first 11, and then you keep on going underneath till you get to the end. So what that will do is it will situate the first letter over the last letter, and the second letter over the second to last letter. So the first letter, Aleph, will go over the letter Taf, and that will spell At, and the second letter, Base, will go over Shin, the second to last letter, and that will spell Bash. So that's why it's called Atbash. And then you've got your two lines of letters, and then if you've got a word and you want to do Atbash with the word, you just refer to your chart, and whatever letter is below or above, you can switch them around and you can rearrange the word. And this basically, you're, you, 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 the, the Gomorrah, the sages of the Gomorrah, are giving us a porthole into other dimensions. That's the simplest way of saying it. Okay, and you'll see an expression of it in one moment. And you can atbash just one letter in a word, two letters in a word, and all sorts of amazing things come from this. So let's revisit the word mitzvah, and we're going to end on this. Mitzvah, if you take the letter mem, what is the corresponding letter in the system of atbash to the letter mem? It's the letter yud. Okay? That's because yud is the tenth letter in, and mem is the tenth to the last letter. Okay? The letter tsadi, what is the atbash of the letter tsadi? It's the letter he. That's because the letter he is the fifth letter, and tsadi is the fifth to last letter. Okay? So now, what does the word mitzvah become? Yud, he, and vav, he. <laughs> so basically, you see, the vav, he of Hashem's name represents the revealed dimensions. That's why you don't have to play with those letters. Because vav, he is the, is the aspect of Hashem that's in front of us that we can relate to. But the Yud and the He is in a different dimension. It's very high. It's very exalted. It's dimensions beyond us. But by accessing those higher dimensions through this system of Atbash, we reveal that the Mem Sadi is the letters Yud He. So it shows us how a mitzvah, which means to connect, right? What's the whole point of a mitzvah? Is that you connect yourself to God through an action. That the word mitzvah is a connection between the revealed dimensions of reality and the hidden uppermost dimensions of reality. And when you do a mitzvah, you make that incredible connection. You bring earth up to heaven, and you bring heaven down to earth. So Hashem should bless us that us, we human beings, who are composites of heaven and earth, that as we head toward, right, as we head toward Tishrei, as we head toward Elul, that we really should refine ourselves and make ourselves more beautiful, and we should be really the parents of the most unbelievable year. Amen.
Um, 